speak to us today. Prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say. I pray you would anoint our pastor as he brings the word. I pray for clarity. I pray for power. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you move upon this congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. We'll be reading our text. If you have your Bibles, turn with me the book of Matthew, chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Matthew, chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. May the Lord add the blessings to the word as Zacchaeus had prayed. But here within our text, we see the words again appear that we preached on last week, or we see the whole term in verse 19. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I want to try to pick up where we left off last week on the subject of binding and loosening. We said a lot last week, and if you, I'm not going to try to go back and, and recap all of that, but if you haven't heard that, you might want to get the tape because these is going to go hand in hand together. Last week we preached to you out of Zechariah chapter 3 and we tied it to the scripture of Matthew 18, 18 concerning the legal terms of binding and loosening. They, the, the, the actual passage dealt with a brother that had been offended or uh, uh, trespassed by another brother that was in the church. And the Bible tells him that if you have a brother that offends you, if you have a brother that has done you wrong, then you go to that brother and then if he hears you well, you have gained a brother. But if not, then you are then to take two witnesses with you. So out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything shall be established. And if he still does not hear you, then take it before the church. Now, that's not talking about taking it before this whole assembly. It's talking about taking it before church leadership, church government. You don't bring causes out in the public like this because the sinners would be turned off of the gospel of Jesus Christ knowing that there's problems in the house of the Lord. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us that three different times that man had an opportunity in order to be uh, uh, make things right. He could have done it when the man went to him by himself. He could have done it when he went with the witnesses. And he could have done it when he was brought before the church council. And then were the legal terms of binding and loosening because he did not adhere to the council Council of the church, the Bible says that he was cast out from fellowship. He was known then as a heathen, as a publican, and he was to be treated like a sinner from the church. That's what the Bible says. So the man had become bound. And that was the legal terms of binding and loosening. This week in my studies, I began to have insight on this passage of scripture that I've never seen before within our text concerning these terms of binding and loosening again. I really believe that God is speaking to us here at the Palace of Praise, getting us ready 
for the results of a shakening that will loose us and set us free in the spirit as the people of God. How many are ready to be set free by the power of Jesus Christ? But this freedom is what's going to give us revival. Let me ask you a question. How can we free other people within the, within the confession of our own mouths? Sometimes we say we're not free. How can you free somebody if you're not free yourself? Can I have an amen? We all want to be free. We all want to be loose from snares and addictions and entanglements and strongholds and mindsets and traditions and bondages. But evidently we are not because I want to tell you the body of Christ makes millions of dollars on books about Christian strongholds and they go to seminars and spend all kinds of money trying to find out how to be loose from their strongholds. And then I begin to really think about that. What do you mean strongholds in the life of a believer? Are we believers or are we not believers? Can I have an amen? So what does all of this stuff mean as a believer? We all want to be free from demonic influence and from evil associations. We want to be free from emotional instability where we believe lies and we always dwell on feelings and we feel this and we feel that and because we feel it, it must be real and then those feelings lead us astray. We all want to leave the realm of doubt and fear and condemnation and we want to move into the realm of spirit and in faith. I want more spirit. I want more faith. I want to leave the realm of doubt. I want to leave the the realm of condemnation. I want to leave the realm of fear and yet the Bible tells me that God's not given me a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. How can we be so mixed up in our theology? One minute we say we're saved and the next minute we say, well, we got a stronghold. One minute we say we're saved, but the next minute we're saying we're fearful. One minute we're saying we're people of faith, but then we express all kinds of doubt, fear, and condemnation. How can the body of Christ be so mixed up at times when it comes to basic theology of freedom? It is here in our text that Jesus raises a question. He asks, who am I? And let me say this, who we believe Jesus is will determine everything of what we what and what and who and what we shall be. Let me say that again because I butchered it and I want to get it out correct. Who we believe Jesus is will determine everything of who and what we will become and what we are. I want you to know our basic belief in Jesus Christ is one of the most important things that you and I will ever have. They answer him in verse 2 of this question and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Isaac, Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then old Jesus looks at Peter in verse 15 says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him in verse 16. And Peter says, well, he said, he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answers Peter, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, first of all, the problem that we have in understanding the full revelation to what Jesus said that is that we stop right here in verse 17 and 18, but Jesus does not stop in his response to Peter, but he adds verse 19 that goes with the text. And he says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to uncover the these verses in layers so that we can see and get a full meaning of what Jesus was actually saying here. In verse 17, he declares to Peter, what you have received is revelational insight. He said, flesh and blood, Peter, has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. It's not been a rabbi. It's not been a prophet. It's 
not been a priest. It's not been a teacher. It's not been a man that's revealed this to you, Peter. I want you to know you've had revelational insight. A spiritual thing has happened to you. You've had a discernment in the spirit realm. You have received this knowledge from my Father, which is in heaven. He tells him where this revelation comes from. And then he says, upon this revelation, upon this rock of truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some people think that the church is built upon Peter, which is not so. That's kind of a Roman Catholicism belief. But here is the principle. The church is both built and fortified on and by the revelational truth that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Can I have an amen? The church is built upon the truth of Peter's declaration that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He's Messiah. He is Lord. He is God robed in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. He is the foundation, the chief cornerstone that all the apostles and the prophets and the rest of the body of Christ is built upon. Can I tell you, we are built upon a sure foundation because we are built upon Jesus Christ. Can you give the Lord praise here today? I'm about to preach. Amen. That is the basic theology. That is the basic truth. Then why don't we believe it? Why don't we exercise it? Why don't we walk in it? How can we believe that and say, yet, but we are full of strongholds? How can we believe that and say, but we are bound? How can we say that when we we believe there are others stronger than us? We got to get our theology right. In verse 19, he compared revelational insight as a key to the kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question. First of all, remember keys either lock or they unlock. They either shut or they close or they bind or they lose. They either keep you out or keep you in. How many believe that? That's what keys do. If I lock these doors, you're not getting out. If you're on the outside, you're not coming in because that door is locked. Nothing is done without a key. And a person that holds the key is a person that has authority, and it's the person that has the power. Well, I want you to know on the basis of me believing that Jesus Christ is Messiah and Lord, by my acceptance of him of believing that he is the son, Christ, the Son of the living God, I hold the keys to the kingdom. I have all authority. I have all power. Can you say Amen. The revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God is the key to the kingdom. It is what unlocks the heavens and ushers us into a new way of living. It ushers one into a spiritual dimension where man is no longer ruled by his flesh and by his five senses. We're no longer ruled by our touch and our smell and our hearing and our seeing and our tasting, which all involves sensations and all involves feelings and emotions and all of that stuff. That's not what we're led by. But it opens us up to the spirit world and causes us to have a spiritual mind and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by him. He's the door. He's the way. He is the key to this spirit world. That's the only way that I can have a spiritual mind is through this Christ. What did Paul say about living in the spirit after that we're born again, brought into the kingdom of God? We have the keys of the kingdom, Galatians 5, 16. So I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Are you here today in spirit? If, say, if so, say Amen then you are an overcomer. Because if we're walking in the spirit, we're not fulfilling the lust of our flesh. We have an overcoming life. If we are in the spirit, we have power to tread upon scorpions. If we, have the, if we are living in the spirit, we are made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord who died and gave himself for us. If you believe that, say amen. Say it louder. One more time as a witness. What is the kingdom? 
We well, got to ask a question. If I got keys to a kingdom, I want to know what I got keys to. What is the kingdom? Well, the answer of that is in Scripture in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat, it's not drink, it's not raiment that you put on. It's got nothing to do with the earthly fashioning. He said, but the kingdom of God is not meat or drink or raiment, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the kingdom? Let me put it this way. The kingdom of God is an inner state of being that results from the rule of Christ in our lives that produces righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. So what am I saying? That when I come into the kingdom of God, Jesus became the rule of my life, and now I have an inner state of peace and joy and righteousness because he's the ruler and the reigner of my life. Can I say amen? This revelational insight unlocks the door to the kingdom and allows me to have a manifestation of God's conquering power ruling in my life. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm saved. I'm blood bought. I tell you what, I'm heaven bound. Hell's under my feet and principalities and powers have no authority in my life. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Can I have an amen? This power then is to be manifested through the church as the priesthood of believers and this is the power that is able to overcome the gates or even the governments of hell. This is the essence of the kingdom, folks. Those of us that's been born again. We come into a new order and a new way of living where righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit is manifested. And them three things are the governing factors of our lives. What governs us? Not feelings, not emotions, but righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. It causes us to have a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of believing, a new way of behaving. It's all due to this belief that we assume the power and the anointing of God to live victorious lives. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of people getting beat up on and thinking they're less than. If you're a Christian, you're more than. You're more than a conqueror, and you're bigger than your enemy, and the lies of the devil must stop if you're going to reign in the rule of Jesus Christ. Our being becomes one of faith and spirit instead of flesh and feelings. Our walk becomes one of believing instead of fear and doubt. Our lives become ordered to the Lord with purpose instead of life of chance and luck and coincidence and hopes. I tell you what, I don't have no chance or coincidence or hopes those in my life. You know why? Because the steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. Every time I rise up, he's with me, and every time I lie down, he's with me. When I go forth, he goes forth. When I come in, he comes in. Everywhere I go, he's there. He's a friend that's sticking close to the brother. He'll never leave, nor will he ever forsake me. I have the hedge of protection, the seal of the Spirit. I'm a glorified child of God in the sense that I am saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't have to worry about what the enemy's going to do or what he's not doing. All I got to do is keep my focus upon Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I win. Hallelujah, I'm about to preach. Woo! Somebody better get happy with me. Our lives become ordered with meaning instead of just us existing from Sunday to Sunday, from week to week, barely hanging on. This causes joy and peace and righteousness to be the fruit of our lives regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in. Good and bad things happen to people. It rains upon the just and the unjust alike. But the difference is the just has this promise in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things, not some things, but all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are they called according to his purpose. I have peace, joy, ruling in my lives. I have righteous living in my life. No matter what happens to me, I believe he's Lord over my life. He has full reign. This thing's not got caught, caught God off guard. Therefore, whatever I'm going through is for my own good or God will not allow it to happen. Can I have an amen to that? So why fret the heavy stuff when I know that God's the one that's the lifter up of my head? 
Amen. We no longer rule by feelings, circumstances, but by the belief that Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're Lord, you're Messiah, you're God. You're the full reigner of our lives. This belief is a specific revelation regarding the who-ness of who Jesus is in our lives. Now listen to me. Everything revolves around that question. Who do men say that I am? Matter of fact, it revolves around it corporately and individually, but the most important thing is when God looks at you and say, who do you say that I am? He comes and makes it personal. Who do you say I am, Brother Williams? That's what God's asking. Gary, who do you say that I am? He could care less of what this congregation says he is. He's asking you as an individual, who do you say that I am? Because everything's going to hinge around who you think Jesus is. Everything revolves around that. It is the revelation of who Jesus is that becomes a key that, that opens one up to the kingdom of God and gives him liberty or it, opens up, or it closes those doors off to life and light because of the rejection of knowing who he is. In other words, the revelation of who Jesus is either looses me to a life of power and might or it binds me in spiritual bondage unto death. Our response to the revelation as Jesus' Savior, Messiah, and Lord is a key that either looses me or it binds me. It saves us or leaves us under the condemnation bound over for judgment. Let me explain. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. We quote verse 16 all the time. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and so on. Verse 17, he says, For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then listen to the next verse. He that believeth on him is not condemned. You believe on him? You're not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Or do you believe in him? How many believe in Jesus? You're not condemned. Look at somebody and say, you're not condemned. Let me say it again. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. So what I believe about Jesus is either going to loose me or it's going to bind me. It's going to set me free or it's going to hold me over for judgment. The believer is to be full of life and peace. Amen? You're to be full of life and peace. I'm to be full, but why are we always talking about the negatives? Focused on the wrongs. All upset about something. Always burdened. Always carrying ourselves around with a frown that drags the ground. Instead of a theme song saying, he set me free, yes, he set me free. Like a bird in prison, he set me free. In the red hymn book, in 235, I know that song, he set me free. Our theme song in the church is, hee-haw, agony and despair on me. God have mercy on the church. I'm here to tell you the church is to be free and the church is to be full of life and peace. Amen? Jesus' life will reflect that of righteousness and ours as a believer will reflect that of righteousness and we will have the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is why that Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We, the church, are to function judicially in the proclamation of the gospel, not to the end of judgment, but to life. Our messages do not need to bring condemnation. They need to bring hope. Can I have an amen? Condemnation will fall if they reject that message, but we're not here to condemn. We're here to declare life. 
John 10 and 10 says that they've come of not but to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. That's why Jesus came. To everyone here bound, to everyone here chained, to everyone here addicted this morning, to everybody somehow bound by something, I got good news for you here today, and that good news is this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and whosoever accepts that truth will be free. Amen? It's that simple. Why do we got to make it hard? John 8 and 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The Bible says in John 8 and 36, if the Son therefore has made you free, you're free indeed. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 12, he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life. Jesus Christ is our freedom. Jesus Christ is our conquering King. Jesus Christ is Messiah, Lord. He's the Son of the living God. We are free. As you and I, as the body of Christ, present the revelation of the gospel regarding the whoness of Jesus, we proclaim it. As the presentation goes out by the Spirit and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, well, men will be confronted with that question. Who is this person called Jesus? Those who receive him as Christ, they're released from their bondage of sin. They're loosed. They are released from judgment and, they're, and loosed to a life of freedom and grace. How many saved in this building? Then you're free. You're loosed, amen? You've believed on Jesus. However, the same gospel of Jesus that we preach, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that looses men, it also confirms the hardness of the heart of those who reject him, leaving them bound. The gospel will either harden you and bind you, or it will loose you and free you. Amen? The key word in verse 19, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, whatsoever thou shalt shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's the key word there? It's whatsoever. It's mentioned twice in these verses of scripture. Whatsoever is referring to the final decision that is made after a proclamation. I'm proclaiming the gospel here today and whatever your decision is, it's going to stand. And whether you believe this gospel and receive it or whether you don't believe it and reject it is going to determine whether you're bound or whether you're free. Amen? That's the simplicity of binding and loosening. Jesus said the same thing in another way in the book of John 20, 23. Listen to him. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them again. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are yet retained. What did he mean by that? The remission or the removal of sins is the work of the Holy Spirit that only comes on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. We preach and we go out and we make a proclamation of the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which gives a man the chance to hear that gospel. And after they hear that truth, those who reject the gospel retain their sins. They remain in bondage. Those that accept the gospel message, their sins are remitted and they are loosed. That's what this scripture is saying to us. We see in scriptures that whole cities are locked up or bound by their openness or their rejection to the gospel. Amen? Listen to what it says in the book of Luke. Before I get there, I want to just say this. If they reject the gospel, if this city rejects the gospel message, they are bound over judgment because they did not receive the men who preached or proclaimed the gospel to them. If they are open to the gospel, they are loosed and set free. So we see whole cities being bound or loosed is determined by the response of either they reject or they accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice Luke 10, verse 10 through 12. But whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your way out in the streets of that same and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is coming to you. 
Here they come. They come in and say, you've rejected the gospel. We're, du- we're knocking the dust off of us. And know this, that the kingdom of God has come to you because we've preached it. We've proclaimed it. But I say unto you, because of your rejection, that it should be more tolerable on the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than for this city. Did you hear that? We see that this cities are, are clo- that, that are closed to the gospel, that they are bound and that they're held over for judgment. Those that reject the kingdom of God that has been presented to them by the proclamation of the gospel through preaching, they are bound because they have rejected. The same principle is over families and even households. Sometimes you see households bound. You see generational curses rampant. You see all kinds of sins that, that people can't overcome. Matthew 10, 11 through 14 tells you why. And whatsoever city or town, when you enter, inquire who is worthy and there abide until you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, honor it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return back to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of the homer city, shake off the dust from your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for, than for that house or that city. The Bible literally tells me that if I come to your house and present the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and you reject it, I am to walk out of the house, shake the dust from off of my feet, and that you are bound over for judgment because you did not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if I walk into your house and present the gospel to you and you humble yourself and receive that gospel, your household is saved and loosed and set free and you become a part of the kingdom of God. Isn't that powerful? That's what this binding and loosing is all about. Now, some of you think, well, okay, if your theology is right, what are you going to do with this Matthew chapter 12, verse 29 through 30? If this binding and loosing I'm talking about, this theology that I have is not a, about binding demons and binding devils and binding unclean spirits, and I do not believe that it is anywhere in Scripture, then what about your theology when you come to Matthew 12, 29 and 30? Look at it. How can one enter into a strong man's house? Spoil his goods, except the first bind that strong man. There it is. And then he will spoil his goods. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I don't have time to preach to you, but the whole thing is about verse 30. He that is not with me. Did you hear that? But most interpret this passage of Scripture as a demon that holds somebody captive. And we Christians have to bind the devil so that we can go into the devil's territory, bind him, and then set that person free. That's what we think this scripture says. The common thought here is that the demon has tied up some people that has captivated them, bound them, and before they can be set free and, the, and them spoils released, then we as believers have to go in, being the stronger man than the devil, bind the demon, Loose the people and set them free. That's what we've been taught in Pentecost for years. How many has been taught that? Raise your hand. We've all been taught that. There's thousands of books on that. Go out and, hey, Brother Williams is bound by the devil, so what we got to do is go in and we got to do a binding of the enemy before he can be loosed. That's what we've been taught as Pentecostals. But I'm here to tell you, nowhere in Scripture does biblical theology tell us to do that. It is quiet. I probably won't be your pastor after this. Amen? Some even look at it before a man can be set free, before an exorcism can occur, that the demon has to be bound. 
However, let me submit a different thought concerning the theology of this scripture. First of all, Jesus never bound the devil anywhere in scripture. He cast it out. Can I have an amen? When it buffeted him, when he got mad and it got in his face, he said, get behind me. Come on. I do agree that the strongman in this verse of scripture is the devil. It is, no doubt about it. However, I also come to understand that there's a key word in this scripture. How many knows that if there's something in this scripture that goes against our theology by its literal interpretation, then we can't hang on to the theology that we've always had. We've got to discard it. Okay, I want to show you. If captive men and women are the goods that the devil holds locked up in his house, then you and I are in some serious trouble. And I want to tell you why. Because look again. The Bible says that a more stronger man than he comes in and spoils his goods. And if we be the goods, we're in trouble. The common thought again, let me go over it again, is us, the body of Christ, being the stronger man, going in, binding and rebuking the devil as a stronger person and setting the people free that he holds captive because them are his goods. That's what we're taught. How many's been taught that? Most everybody's been taught that. Hands are going up all over. The word spoil here does not mean what we think that it means. As a matter of fact, we think it means to take, to free, to steal, to lose. We think, okay, the devil's got someone captive. I go in, I rebuke him, I bind him. Then I come and I take or I loose or I free that person from that bondage. That's what we've been taught. That's what we've all come to think. But the real meaning of the verse for spoil is the Greek word that means to plunder and destroy. Uh-oh. If we believe the common theology behind this verse that we are saying then what we are saying is the devil holds people captive. We are to go in and rebuke him and bind him and then destroy those people because the goods are to be plundered and spoiled. They are to be plundered and destroyed. So we see that all of our theology behind this verse of Scripture is not being right. The goods do not represent men held captive because the goods that are held here in the, by the enemy, they are literally plundered and they are destroyed by the stronger man. Amen? How many know that Jesus didn't come to destroy you? He come to save you. The stronger man that binds the strong man is Jesus Christ. Say that with me. The stronger man that binds the strong man, Satan, is Jesus Christ. He's already entered into the devil's domain in his territory when he came to earth. How many know that the devil is called the God of this world? Jesus has come into the worldly realm as flesh and blood, entered into the devil's house, and when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15, listen to this. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses, blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Now let's stop right there for a minute. Last week we said that when Joshua the high priest come up to present himself with the Lord, he gave legal access for the devil to be there because his garments were spotted and they were blemished. That gave the devil legal rights to come there and to accuse him. And because of his spotted garments, God cannot rebuke Satan off of, off of Joshua's life, right? You remember that message? 
Well, here the Bible says, because of what Jesus done on the cross, that even though I am guilty of sin, if I ask God to forgive me, that when I come before God and ask him, to, petitioning him in prayer, and the enemy comes up to accuse me, that the accuser can be rebuked because the handwrites of ordinance that was against me, Jesus has took them out of the way, nailing them to the cross, and now there can be no accusations against me because I'm forgiven, I am washed, I am justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The devil can't accuse me no more. Though I've done it in my past, yet my past is just that. It's the past. I'm saved and forgiven, and them sins are never to be remembered against me anymore. So I am no longer bound in the heavenlies as I pray, left over for judgment. I am free, and God hears my prayer. Hallelujah. Oh, my, I'm about to preach. The Bible says that then it goes on. Don't stop. After he blots out the handwriting of the oranges against us by nailing it to the cross. Listen to verse 15. Having spoiled. There's the word. Say it with me, spoiled. Jesus has spoiled principalities and powers and made a show over them openly, triumphant over them in it. The Bible says that Jesus, the stronger man, has spoiled all of the principalities and powers that work against my life. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Amen? If God be for you, who can be against you? I love her. She's saying amen. I got somebody agree with me out of the mouth of babes that has, and sucklings that has perfected praise. Thank you, sister. Amen? We are here this morning to declare unto you as a believer every principality, every power, every demonic assignment, every demonic plan, every demonic plot that the enemy has over your life has been canceled out. It has been destroyed. Why? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and spoiled the principalities and powers against your life. You do not have to bind the enemy. The enemy is already bound. My, 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 my. Jesus said, the stronger man has spoiled all the principalities and powers against us. That's why he said, all power is given me in heaven. Go ye therefore. Preach and proclaim the gospel. It's good news. It's what sets people free. Amen. The Bible says that he has defeated, destroyed, plundered all of the goods that the devil has to use against me. Therefore, when I accept Jesus Christ as Savior, he gives me the key to the kingdom. Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of the living God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through him. He's the doorway that enters me into this kingdom. I am born again into the kingdom of God where righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit dwell. And now I, am a, as a believer, am free. I don't have to become free. I am free. Are you a believer? You're free. Start acting like it. You're free. My freedom is what binds the devil. Did you hear that? My freedom is what binds the devil. How, what do you mean? Even though the devil walks to and fro throughout the earth, seeking who may be devour, he's not locked up in some chain pit somewhere. 
He's not there, folks. He's walking around. He's very much alive. And his principalities and powers are still much alive, walking around, seeking whom they devour. Yet his goods, which are emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, hatred, murder, jealousy, lies, slander, gossip, deceit, wrath, variances in, in these murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, Paul said, all the things are like that. His goods are plundered, destroyed, and rendered ineffective on me because I'm free. So that binds him. He has nothing to use against me. He can't even bring a railing accusation against me because I'm covered by the blood. Amen? I'm no longer of this world. I'm no longer ruled by flesh. I'm no longer ruled from the God of this world. I am ruled by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He can't do nothing to upset my apple cart. I'm happy. I'm free as a believer. I'm free. I'm free whom the Son has set free. He's free indeed. I'm not free of what I do. I am free by what Christ has already done. I'm not free on the basis of me binding and loosening and all that stuff. He bound. He loosed. He loosed me. He bound the devil. Now I'm free. I don't have to do anything to earn that freedom. It's by grace that I'm free. All I got to do is believe it, appropriate it, and live it out. I'm free. You're free. Amen. The Lord Christ has already disarmed and bound the stronger man. Jesus Christ went to the cross and everything that the enemy has to throw at us is rendered ineffective. They bounce off of us. Why? We're free. He throws that dart, boom, it just bounces off. Why? I've got a shield of faith. He throws something in my head, I got the helmet of salvation. Come on, I've girded myself up with the loins of truth. I'm, I've got my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I got the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Amen. Even though I do not always have liberty to express my freedom due to the enemy always fighting, afflicting, buffeting, wrestling, warring, hindering and opposing me, he's out there doing those things, yet I'm still free. Amen? I don't have liberty to express it a lot of times, but I'm still free. He cannot stop me from being free, folks. Paul and Silas were bound in prison, bound in flesh, hands and feet shackled, they were literally behind bars. They didn't have liberty to express their freedom, but I want to tell you, that did not stop them from being free. At the midnight hour, the darkest hour of their lives, the worst hour that you can ever imagine, they did not start binding and loosening and rebuking and all that kind of a stuff. They began to sing songs and praise unto God. Why? Because they didn't have to bind the devil. They were already free. They just had to express their freedom without liberty. And they went in and done a sacrifice of praise. And when they did, an earthquake came. The chains fell off their hands. The chains fell off their feet. The doors were open and they were free. They praised God at their midnight hour because they were free. Would you praise him right now if you're free? Amen. Are you free? Praise him. When I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepted the good news, I received the keys to the kingdom. I left Satan's kingdom, the domain of flesh, the worldly system through the new birth. The door of my past shut behind me, never to be remembered against me anymore. And now Satan's goods are spoiled. He's rendered ineffective. He's disarmed. And he becomes bound instead of me. His goods have no bearing in my life. He can't tempt me with drunkenness. I refuse it. I'm free. Make my own choice. 
You can't make me do nothing. The devil can't make you do anything. The power of the cross is not only enough to free me, it's enough to keep me free. How many believe that? First John 3 and 8, why did Jesus come? The Bible says Jesus has manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Did he destroy the works of the devil or didn't he? Then why do we think we got to do it? He's done done it. Amen? My focus isn't on the strong man or how to bind him. It's on Christ who has already bound him. This is why that Jesus said in John 16, these things have I spoken to you that, you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. When the God in us becomes bigger than the God of this city, we win. The way that we win this city isn't binding demons, going around the show, I bind you, I, I hold you, I rebuke you, I go into this territory, I pull down these strongholds. No, that ain't how you win it. Jesus never done that kind of warfare, never, not one time. You don't see any of the apostles doing that kind of warfare. You know what they done? They went and preached the gospel and the ones that received them, they received it, they were loosed and the ones that didn't, they were bound. That's the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go in and we start preaching the gospel out of the overflow of joy, peace, and righteousness, it'll have an effect that will cause the enemy to literally shake in his boots. Because the problem with the church, too much of our attention is focused on the devil and not upon what Christ has done at the cross for us. To say that we have to bind the devil is a saying that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross was not sufficient enough in itself. And yet Jesus says it's finished. It's done. You don't have to add to. You don't have to take away. What I've done has finished the work. Hallelujah. It is arrogant for us to think that the finished work of Jesus on the cross is not good enough to keep us free. Amen? When you hear believers always talking about the devil, everything's a spirit, everything's a demon, everything's an unclean spirit, all they're doing is empowering the enemy. The only power the devil has is the power we give him through our belief. Whatever we believe about him is either going to bind him or loose him to have havoc on our life. The only bound Christian is the one that thinks he's bound. Amen? To say Christians have strongholds, it's saying that the Christian has not learned how to live out the freedom that Christ has appropriated upon the cross. I'm free, folks. You'll never be free until you believe in what Jesus has done for you and appropriate that in your life. The blood is enough. Can I have an amen? We are either loosed by our faith believing or we are bound by our unbelief. Did you hear that? I'm going to close here in just a minute. We are either loosed by our faith or we are bound by our own unbelief. Look at 1 John 5 and 4. Whatsoever is born of God. Are you born of God this morning? Born from above? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So if I believe I'm an overcomer, I'm an overcomer. For you to be an overcomer, you've got to believe you're an overcomer in Jesus. That's enough. It's settled. It's done. The work's been accomplished. I'm free. I'm free. I'm not bound. The devil has no influence on me. He cannot buy me. I'm blood-bought. I'm sealed into the day of redemption. I'm a saint of God. I'm a child of the living God. And God watches over me. He protects me. He guides me. He leads me in all truth. I cannot be bound unless I lose my faith 
through a spirit of unbelief. Amen? More people have been destroyed by unbelief than anything else. People have more faith in the power of the devil than they do the redemptive work of Christ. God help us. This is why that Paul said in Colossians 2 and 8, beware, say beware, that lest any man spoil, there's the word, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. What's he saying? The only way the devil can defeat us is if we allow ourselves to be spoiled, plundered, and destroyed by the philosophies and vain deceit after the traditions of men. This is the thing that has been taught for years in Pentecost that we've been talking about, about binding. is nothing more than a tradition of man. It's been taught for years. It's not that of Christ. And if we ain't careful, it'll lead us in a path that causes us to become more arrogant and self-confident than what we said. Because last week we said even Michael the archangel would dare even make a rebuke and a rebuttal against the devil. The angels of God wouldn't even do it. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus wouldn't do it because he had not yet come to the earth and received all power from God. He, there's an order of the Godhead. Even the, even the pre-incarnated Christ would not rebuke, but said, Jehovah or the Lord God rebuke thee. We've got to be careful. We do have power to resist the devil. We do have power to command devils to come out of people that, that, uh, that want to be free. We have power to cast demons out. Yes, we do. We have power to when the enemy's in our face buffeting us and fighting us and we get enough of it. We can say, get thee behind me, Satan. But this binding and loosening thing, folks, is a thing that has tricked us to where we have come to believe that we have strongholds and that we are all tied up and we are all bound as the body of Christ. And yet, how can we free anybody and be a perpetual extension of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you, when Jesus come out of that grave, he was not bound. His grave clothes were all taken off and folded and put there nice and neatly. He let them know there's no entanglements on me. I am free. It's just like when, I'll close with this. I, I got to get, get done here. I think. You remember when Job went to present himself with the sons of God before the throne of God in prayer, petitioning, and worship? He goes before God. And all of a sudden, Satan came also. There he is again, just like he was over there with old Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3. There's the accuser of the brethren, sitting there accusing the brethren before God. And finally, there's no accusations given about Job. You know why? Because the Bible says that Job was a perfect man, an upright man in his generation. He was a righteous man. And the Bible says that Job stood before there and there's no accusations that we see Satan throwing at him because he hasn't got spotted garments. Amen? And God asked him, says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Here is the reply of the devil. No. Why should I consider him? I can't even touch him. Wow, you got a hedge around him to where I can't touch that man. I'm here to tell you, Kent Miller is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. The same hedge that was over Job is over me. The devil can't touch.
touch me. The devil can't do anything to my life without the permission of God. Why? Because I'm free. Every principality, every power, every ruler of darkness has been disarmed and all of the stuff that he can throw at me has no bearing because I am free. I am ruled by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, would you stand with me?